Hello, welcome to We Don't Talk About The Weather, political discussion from the outside may look like screaming and crying. I'm Adam and this is you. Hello. And we're here to talk news and politics. Yeah, we are. Series 2.4 You cannot unlisten. (laughs) Yeah. You must not listen. There's like, you know, Rona's done a lot to like change everything and somehow change virtually nothing about the general relationship between... um, humans and capitalism but one of the things that has really pissed me off is the next Evangelion film has been delayed and the Green Knight film has been delayed and I don't know when those films are coming and I want them oh, they even, you, think they even never think, you never think it's going to happen to you do you? No but you never think it it's going to happen to you um, they've like, oh, they even did like a custom Fender for this release of Evangelion it was like an Asuka coloured Fender well, like a guitar? Yeah. It looks fucking awesome. <laughs> okay. It was really awesome. Um, the merchandise trains never stops. Why don't we do... We should do, like, merchandise. We should do, do, like, a custom Fender. A custom... Adam we don't talk about the Fender. A custom Adam-coloured Fender guitar. Yeah, black. <laughs> Is it black? No, I was just thinking... That B-shaped. Kind of, that kind of puce pink, sometimes sunburnt. Like you know, like how the Laple sunburst colour, yeah. but instead of it being like that kind of like orange and browns, but that kind of Irish pale to pink, <laughs> just the colour, just the colour of my flesh. <laughs> yeah, we call it sunburned Celt guitar. Oh, we call a... it the flying suet. Oh yes. <laughs> oh, but yeah, so. Um, we haven't done a couple of weeks. What's been happening? Not much. We have mm. more lockdowns coming in. Everything's kind of shitty. Yeah. My, my kids gone back to university, which feels weird at the moment. It feels very different to last year when she went off to university. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, I'm sure. Like, if I was gonna send, if you're gonna send them to like, like some of the universities, don't like it seems a bit nerve wracking. Just like if she was in her first year, I would have been talking about. Diff- I would have been trying to convince her to defer. The idea right. of being locked up yeah. in a room, like in a sing, like a single room, on your own, like without any of the kind of freshers things or any of that kind of stuff, mm. that there's going to be some lonely first years this year. Mm. Like, and there's no, you know, it's not like they have the MMOs that we used to to kind of. <laughs> but like keep all their like fresher things are going to be like Zoom ones. Like last year, oh, she had God. things like you know those. They have like college parents that meet up with them and take them out for coffee and ice cream and show them around the city and like you know what I mean they do things to yeah. make them feel at home and like they're not alone and now you literally can't do that so like I feel real bad for first years yeah that does kind of suck I mean I can't even imagine like sitting in one room mm. all the time mm-hmm. just sitting there doing nothing <laughs> sounds. Yeah, but they're smaller than the ones we have. Terrible. We have yeah, I know ones. what you mean, yeah. <laughs> I know, I know, yeah. But, um, but, yeah, so she's back, and so that's weird. But, yeah, mm. it's um, maybe with more lockdown rules and the weather changing, it means I won't have to deal with quite so many people out when I'm walking the dog. Mm. That's my main hope. Like, yeah, I, th- this increase in the number of cases and increased pressure to do more lockdown measures um, I, um there's no there's no blueprint for this kind of like national action like before do you know what i mean yeah. there's no I, I don't think we've have any we don't have any precedent to to guide us as to what actually happens in this situation because like i think of the early weeks of the last lockdown of everything being shut except for you know like essential services and the number of people who um, you know, were either made redundant or, you know, the number of businesses that closed down. Mm. And, you know, you were told, oh, this is the edge of the knife. This is the, there's going to be a huge number of unemployed. And, like, you don't see any kind of impact of that in, in the media. Do you know no. what I mean? There's no impact of, like, no, this is incredibly serious. Everyone keeps talking about this is going to be a really bad recession. This is going to be the worst recession in in decades. You know, yeah. this might be the worst recession ever. And And there's no... Everything about the portrayal of, of, of and the like manipulation of information around all of this just seems so distanced. Yeah, it feels. Like it is that's that's where the... you get that feeling of like nothing has nothing has changed, but everything is constantly changing. 
Do you know yeah, what I mean? There's, I've definitely noticed, like, during the financial crash, like, 2008, the... I remember there being lots of like interviews with homeown with like people losing their homes and things like mm. that. There seems to be very I haven't seen much on the news about the sh- like people who are losing their jobs, people that are like actually fucked by all this. What I am getting is people talking about how obviously there's going to be austerity and we're going to have to tighten our belts and we need to protect like rents and shit like that. There is a much there's a like despite all of the stuff about um the red wall and leveling up and that this was going to be a new uh, a new way of looking at um, British politics after the 2019 election yeah it it really hasn't all I mean to be honest the most um, the most kind of flagrant thing I've seen is just the absolute willingness to defend this government to the hill yeah to absolutely displace any kind of responsibility or blame there was honest to god so many and i i, I refuse to believe it was all just kind of random opinion and random thought mm. there were at least two or three things last week about how hard it's been on the cabinet ministers yeah on like matt hancock yeah. and on boris yeah. and on how boris is underpaid can you imagine <laughs> can you imagine the barefaced cheek to even like plant in the uh, in the press that Boris thinks he's underpaid. Look, he's Can you imagine lot, that ever got, happening he's before? He's got a lot of kids he has to pay for. <laughs> but, um, a lot of uh, did, flights to Parisia. Yeah. Um, oh god, that there's that thing about the, I saw there was, there was like the theory that there's a super injunction um, that he's got a super injunction out because he's have because him and Carrie Simmons have already split because of an affair with a violinist. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that was a rumor that went <laughs> yeah. around, wasn't it? There was yeah. a rumor that went around, and there was like the notion that he—the reason it wasn't in the press is because there was a super injunction. And the thing is, there mm. is like, um, I, I don't know if it's if it's true or not. I'd say going on track record, it wouldn't surprise me if he's having another affair. Seeing as this mm. one started while his um, while his current wife was being treated for cancer, um, but they wouldn't need a super injunction to stop the press from talking about it because they already published stories about how hard it is for him being prime minister. <laughs> And they like, literally, well, when like, you... yeah, they they literally do everything for him. They don't need to be told to do things nice to him or like leave things out. It's like whenever you get like a, you get a story and it is like the rule of six mm. is going to be maybe lifted for Christmas. Yeah, <laughs> what are you supposed to take from that? Like if 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 we live now in the age where you have to manage people people's emotional states and actually. Yeah. Pounds, shillings, and pence isn't the thing, and statistics isn't the thing that pe- that drive people to react in certain ways. It's like much more nebulous states of emotion and feeling. Yeah. yeah. How are you supposed to feel about that? That just seems to me to be a, an absolute perfect like confusion moment because it's like, yay, Christmas! Wait a minute, what? What? <laughs> You're dispensing Christmas now. Yeah. You well, are like the there's thing- this kind of like I mean the only thing I can think of is that it's yeah it's this continuation of a, a naturalization of this like one state of government that's going to exist forever yeah it's, um it might be different people but this government this yeah. particular kind of government is everything you're going to get now i saw it in like kind of two ways because he made that 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 leak about maybe it being lifted for christmas came i think on the same day that um that sadiq khan said that there's no fireworks this year for um, new year's eve yeah, there's sure. no display because you can't. You literally, he's like, it's like, of course you can't do it. You've seen the, what it's like on New Year's mm. Eve in fucking London. I there's have. No oh, please, please, I have seen what it's like on the telly. I wouldn't dare oh, yeah, go God, down no. there. No, I haven't been yeah. down there since I was like eighteen, and I'm never again. Never. Again. I don't think I've ever been down there for New Year's. It's fucking horrible. Mm. Um, so he said that, and like, there's part of me that's like, so immediately, Sadiq Khan is cancelling is cancelling fun. Boris Johnson is allowing you fun, and that's the other thing yeah. as well. Is this government all of the all of the rules that they're putting in? There's like a lot of the <clears throat> like I'm in obviously like I'm in favour of you know, you got to wear masks and socially distanced and reduce mm-hmm. interactions with people as much as possible, wash your hands, all that kind of stuff. But there's a lot of draconian rules that they're giving themselves, powers that they're giving themselves, like you know. Maybe we'll bring the army in to see if you've got seven people in that house. That yeah, because of, of course, because that's what you do in this country when you reach the end of the yeah. tether of trying to make something happen. You yeah. say, 
not as a and the stupid thing is you do it not as a threat but as like this gift don't yeah. worry we'll get the army in yeah, to here's do a little X. present for you here's a little present you'll get to see the army on the street <laughs> yeah you love that don't you like you all love that everyone loves maybe maybe, guns. maybe the army as a treat yeah um <laughs> But yeah, and so there's all that stuff, and then with him saying that we'll lift the rules for Christmas, it's that alternating thing of being an incredibly strict parental figure while also giving you the odd little treat to make, and like, because this is in his gift to give you to see mm. your parents at Christmas. Yeah, Do you know what I mean. So it's like there's two things. It's either it's like oh look at the look at Labour. They're the they're the no fun police. They just want to shut down pubs. We want to keep them all open all the time. If it wasn't for those <laughs> Labour, do you know what I mean? I mean to be honest, he has gone like he did say. Was it something he said today that uh, the reason why COVID numbers are so bad is because the British have like some kind of irrepressible sense of liberty. <laughs> Just an irrepressible joie de vie. We can't stop yeah. kissing each other on the cheek despite the coronavirus. <laughs> we just can't stop doing it. If it was anything, if you're going to say it was anything that I was going to um, keep on, that was going to like make spikes in infection that was intelligibly linked to the British character, it's arsehole fucking Englishmen spitting on people. Sharing cans in the park. <laughs> <laughs> and at the same time... Uh, and at the same time, like, arms linked like the champagne and at the and, and at the same time, you know... Uh, people of colour are four and a half times more likely to be fined for breaking uh, COVID regulations well, yeah. than non white than white people. Yeah, it's like it's it, you know it's... like of course they are, and like oh yeah, you can't talk about you know it's definitely there's definitely no systemic racism in this country. Blah blah. blah. Of course, that's the thing. Like the, I think on the one hand, it's important that stuff needs to be done to reduce infection. But more people need to be. It's something needs to be done about the fact that, like, systemic racism isn't going to be fixed in the next month, and people are going to start being huh. fined massively. Be. <laughs> <laughs> people are going to start being fined massively for perceived infractions. And what's the betting that you can't like the recourse on those perceived infractions aren't going to be? You know, it's not going to be particularly great. Do you know mm. what I mean? Like they're gonna yeah. they're gonna give. If they doll if they doll out a fine, how often are people going to be able to not have to pay that fine because it turns out the policeman was just being racist and just being? A I mean, like, I I just think it like I, I'm sure we've talked about this before with with COVID, but it just goes to show that like aside from like the ideology of like exactly how COVID is to be is to be treated, how it is to be like managed, um, this country has. Dis, like is singularly capable of punishing you very very easily but not like like not in a rigorous way it's not like you've got coppers on every corner but if you come into a copper chances are you like and your poc chances yeah. are you're going to be you're going to be got but at the same time like finds it absolutely impossible to actually manage anything like nationwide yeah like that's like that's kind of one of the most startling things about it. It's like one of the most centralized countries in the world. Every single bit of political power flows out of flows out of out of London. Every every political decision is kind of tied to that kind of thing. But there's been a slow loosening of kind of responsibility for things to to councils. And we've talked before about how that was kind of a kind of a ploy. But there's literally nothing you can do to um equally meet out the same kind of regulation treatment like countrywide if it's positive yeah well, you know a... if you want if you wanted to pay people a universal basic basic income the amount of work you'd have to put into infrastructure to actually be able to do it would be far far in excess of the actual cost of the money itself <laughs> yeah it is, um, you know there's a thing i saw today that there are apparently nine overlapping sets of rules at the moment for coronavirus yeah because and like it's like, okay so when i walk the dog there are people that you talk to who walk the dogs around the same time and there's some nice ones there's some not so nice ones for example there are people with poppy harnesses for their dogs that's uh, uh-huh. cool yep fine your dog remembers the war dead oh okay. yeah it's nearly that time isn't it it is i've seen the poppy face mask it's, it's very very exciting it's very exciting we'll do a review we'll probably do a review show of all the best the best tat this year but um <laughs> I'm, sure I'm sure there's going to be you know there's poppy masks there'll probably be poppy gloves maybe poppy poppy scented hand wash 
know. Well, okay, let's let's think about this for a second because this isn't just any kind of uh, any kind of war Christmas. Mm-hmm. There's a very specific feel around, and as far as I can work out, it's mawkish sentimentality. Mm-hmm. Much more than usual. So I'm assuming, I mean, obviously poppy masks are a given. Yeah. Poppy lanyards. Yeah, Mm -hmm. sure. Okay. Um, No big poppy costumes. I think we're going small this year. Uh, Less is more. Oh, no. Um, There's going to be poppy things to put on the outside of your house because you can't have street parties. So there'll be poppies to put in your front garden. Big plastic poppies. Gigantic uh, monoliths. Oh, God. Stone carved poppies, <laughs> just stone monuments. <laughs> but anyway, so there's people, the people, there's people I bump into and talk to all the time, and um, one of the common things that have has come up is how the other countries, like Scotland and Wales, are and Northern Ireland, are playing politics with coronavirus by doing different things, and it is because Boris hasn't talked to anyone. Isn't it? Like today was like the first time he's talked to them in fucking months, isn't it? Did you see yeah. that? That, that was yeah, yeah. the first COVID meeting ages that they haven't. Like, um, I, for, I always forget his name because he's instantly forgettable. To, especially Drake, uh, Drakeford. Yeah, he was um, saying like Mark he, Drakeford. That sounds about right. Um, saying, or Adam Drakeford, one of them. Yeah, he hasn't talked. He hasn't talked to us in in ages. So it's like, of course they're going to do their own thing because otherwise they'd be doing literally nothing, waiting to be told what to do. That's because they've never fully accepted. I mean, uh, we've been i've been looking a lot at um new labor uh stuff yeah for something coming soon yeah. um and there was always that uh when they first even new labor who were you know nominally committed to bringing in devolution they were always conflicted as to who has priority the scottish like for instance the scottish office or the scottish first minister yeah because they didn't really know who took priority yeah, yeah. you know because they hadn't they had considered it kind of a sop yeah, <laughs> they'd naturally considered that they would work together and work complementary, but of course they don't because as soon as you get a representative body, you become a different polity. Yeah, you know? it, yeah exactly. Then they've never—I don't think they've ever fully, fully kind of no, integrated that. No, I think you're right. And why think... you get all those weird UKP things about um, abolishing the Senate? Yeah, um, I think it's why. Like, I think um, why it's come into kind of stark re- like it's come into focus now. Because during coronavirus, obviously, you do need to talk to them more mm. and work together. And with a prime minister like Boris, who 100% does not feel like he should ever have to answer to anyone hmm. or discuss his thing. So it's just like a confluence of events that have just made it really obvious that these are different places that are massively, well, disregarded, I'd mm. say. Which will be yeah. interesting come the, next, come the election next year, if that happens or if it gets delayed again. I could see it getting delayed because it, again, yeah. it, it doesn't. It's not a proper election. Yeah. Is how they would view it. Yeah, but could you see them being happy with not having, um, not being able to get rid of Sadiq Khan for another year? Hmm. That'll be the thing. They'll be like, we really, need, they really want to get rid of him. <laughs> why? Like, why bother? Well, yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. <laughs> I, to be perfectly honest, like, other than the prestige of having all of the things, which you know, yeah, legitimate. I think they would probably go for it, but. What political what political difference is he doing other than it's a an absolute lightning rod to the worst fascists in this country? Yeah, and seeing as he gave up the well, he didn't have really much of a choice, but you know the TFL stuff that has been given up now, so that's more that's out of his hands now as well. So yeah, that's the point of him. Hmm. But yeah, so it'll be interesting to see what happens. It will probably like everything will probably be changed within a week. Yeah. Okay, so. This week, specifically today, well, in the like in the last couple of days leading up to Labour conference, there's been you know, they've been putting out stuff and leaking stuff. But today was Keir Starmer's speech that was given with you know all the competence that you would imagine from the people who were supposed to be the ones who should be in charge for the last um, five <laughs> years. Like you've seen that um, you watched it as well, didn't you? The YouTube the video they put up on YouTube, which is like, I think the first 20 minutes is like mumbling so, and heavy breathing while people so get like, into place. And then Ruth's me standing off camera to do. Her so it, yeah, that, 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 that was weird. Like I watched that today and it was the guardians. So yeah. like they've just put up the raw feed 
on yeah. their site. I'm pretty sure if anyone who's listened to this, when you go and see it, it might still be up, but it, it was certainly up all of today with no like, uh, like, like saying that it was just the raw feed or anything, but it genuinely is like 15 minutes of your, like, like you're able to see the camera. You're able to see the, um, the teleprompt. Yeah. Um, it's heavy breathing. It's people mumbling. You can hear people talking about like, there's no like huge off camera moments. Like, you know, uh, Ruth Smith saying, ha ha, finally I did it. <laughs> we um, won. <laughs> oh no, <laughs> I'm not MP anymore. Um, but yeah, it's it, 15 minutes of that. And then it starts with Ruth Smith. It occasionally goes to a secondary camera where she's in shot and then goes back to the main podium where Starmer's going to give his speech. And it's just very weird. I, I was at first kind of conspiratorially minded that it's like, is this some kind of attempt to give him like a real, um, like a kind of real world charm? Like it's meant to be gritty and <laughs> It's meant and to look real, kind like, of shit to make him look less polished. Like, like GTV on uh, WWE Raw many yeah. years ago, you know, it's, it's hidden camera, hidden camera stuff to give it a kind of gritty edge. Um, they shoot it with a filter, um, but yeah, it, it it didn't seem to really be that. It just genuinely seemed to be a lack of care. Yeah, yeah. Um, what did you think of Ruth Smith's intro? What do you think about the choice of Ruth Smith? To do the intro, it's very. I know exa- you know exactly what they're talking about. They're yeah. like, "Don't worry, anti-Semitism is over." Yeah. Not because we've done anything, just because we've said it's over, yeah. and everybody agreed that now it's not a problem. Yeah. So presumably that's it. You know, there's nothing to worry about anymore. Yeah. The main thing I got from it's like she said she was saying a lot about um about how upsetting it was to lose her seat and lots of people losing their seat and how you need to listen to the electorate. Weird, like this is a, a running theme during this. They talk about listening yeah. to the electorate more. Um, it, it's weird that that didn't matter with Brexit. That that demo- that democratic vote that was different though. Um, and it <laughs> it's weird. It doesn't matter with Scotland. That's different though. <laughs> that um, like I think at one point in Starmer's speech, um, we'll probably get to it. He talks about um, how they need to be more persuasive, which is a thing that it's like this whole speech is very New Labour, but it's that very much. Um, there's the their only plan for Scotland is to be more persuasive in what we've already been saying, which is but they gonna... mentioned it. He mentioned it once where he's like, "I want to do this for all regions yeah. of our great country." Well, he's, he hates nationalism, but he loves patriotism. <laughs> so yeah, that's the thing that everyone's been uh, focusing on today is the um, the kind of more uh, dog whistly yeah. bits. Of the speech, it was definitely a uh, kind of a, a law and order versus uh, Boris's chaos was the kind of theme well, of the speech. It felt less like a... Cause it's going to feel weird because it's a weird way of doing conference. Like, um, I think on Sunday, Angela Rayner did a speech to 37 people watching the stream. <laughs> so, you know, it's all going well. But um, um, it felt more like a party political broadcast like he was speaking Definitely. to voters way more than he was speaking to a conference because i can tell you now that if he gave this speech well, I, I don't know what the state of the membership is now but i did see that um a labor party official talked about it's not about making the echo your echo chamber larger it's about knocking down the walls of your echo chamber which i think zarb cousin said that's what i'd say if i was losing members <laughs> Yeah, I don't know what the state of the membership is now, but if he gave this speech to the com- like the the conference with the membership it had last year, then he probably would have been booed. Yeah, I mean, in many ways, this is kind of the perfect um, vehicle for a renewed kind of elite at the top of the party yeah, because um, you don't really have to you don't really have to deal with kind of any factional stuff. Yeah. You can just give you can give it as if you're giving it to the public and not yeah. to, you, you know, li- the party generally. Well, you can literally give your diktat and leave and not, not re- and turn the comments off and turn the replies off. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that he wouldn't have given a speech quite like this if Rona wasn't happening and not just talking about, you know, with the state of the country, I think if there'd been a conference, he would have made, I reckon he would have, he would be talking like this, but maybe in a year. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. I remember when he got elected. Oh yeah, no. It, that's got, the, yeah. When he got elected, my plan was to stay in the Labour Party until conference 
and see how he was by then and then make my decision. I left sooner than that because he was making it pretty clear which direction he was going. Yeah, and it's, by it's now, one of... if you're not clear on where he's going, despite what Paul Mason, the libertarian communist, the radical social oh, democrat, God. the spice fiend extraordinaire says, he is not advanced. Well, he, might, he will be advancing the class war, but not for us. It's it's there were like I, I listened to the speech and yeah. like people have been on Twitter. No, have been you didn't going just listen to the speech. Or, or you watched it like I did. You saw his. I face. watched it. You saw how, which is an, this is an important thing. He is not good at public speaking. Yeah, that's the uh, the other thing that I was reminded of here. Um, I don't know what it is. I'm not sure if it's his his accent. I'm not sure if it's because he has, he he sounds like he has a speech impediment that he's trained himself out of. Um, or that like his his speaking ability can't quite match up with his body language. Actually, that's it. It's um, that, actually, I wouldn't say it's like a speech impediment that he's trained himself out of. It feels like he's had elocution lessons to speak in a specific way, though. Hmm. Do you know what I mean like um like 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 a lot of actors do to get rid of their regional accent? I mean that's that's the thing that I've had a lot of like you have a lot of problems with. There's so many of this new uh, of the kind of Starmer uh, regime. Who just sound like they're they're acting. There's nothing behind there, and I know that's a classic. I mean, that's such so like inherent to how generally people feel about politicians, right? Yeah. I mean, that's like a '90s grunge video level of political analysis. That, yeah. You know, oh, they're just acting behind that, and then you know they pull the mask off, they pull the Warren Beatty mask off, and they're um, <laughs> uh, Wyclef, not Wyclef Jean. Um, <laughs> fuck, what's his name? I can't remember the name of the guy who did Ghetto Superstar, um, but yeah, uh, but that's like that's how old that like that 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 kind of trope is. And yeah. there's something very particular. Like Ruth Smith, not convincing at all. Yeah. Like is reading from a script, doesn't have the command of the language to alter where she's going at all. Very different to to Corbyn and McDonnell and and those kind of people. The only person I've seen who does even a passable job at it, it has been Angela Rayner. Yeah. She does actually sound like a human being when she's yeah. when she's talking. Like it, the whole thing kind of. He sounds like he's one of those guys in like a nationwide advert, like a bank manager who's been given a little bit of training and told to be in an advert. And it's like <laughs> this will appeal because he's an ordinary person. Mm. And there you've got some kind of grounded thing because you know you choose you choose like a regional accent. Yeah. And then people trust your bank. But no one would ever cast Starmer for anything. Like no. he's a, he's a really genuinely kind of alienating public speaker. Yeah. That said, like I actually we've talked about this. Like I don't think the speech was like the speech was exactly the same kind of speech that I've been hearing from Labour, with the exception of the last five years, um, that I've been hearing forever. Yeah, well, that's like that's, David. Which David Cameron would have. David Cameron would have given that speech. Yes, probably better. To yeah. be honest. Yeah. Um, um, there was a thing I noticed. There's a couple of like, there's a couple of recurring Starmer themes whenever he's doing these these talking. Like ever since he was like, Keir Starmer is from a town. Um, yeah. Thing. But um, when he started with you know how happy he was to be in Doncaster, you know I love the place I'm in. Um, yeah. Um, with, oh yeah, yeah. With yeah, my wife's mum was born in Doncaster, and so that like tenuous fucking connections to, to like like. But it's exactly what he would yeah, expect that exactly. people think he should be saying. Exactly. That's the that's the problem with like not weirdly enough not Blair, mm-hmm. probably not Brown most of the time, but the kind of Blairite mould of of like yeah. public speaking. Well, that's because we've got we you know you know like how the Tories have got nothing. Because they're yeah. like, well, what few people they had left who had maybe had some vision, a vision I disagreed with, but they had a vision and like a way of doing things. Um, they're all gone now, and all they're left with is these kind. It's like you know, your Matt Hancock's and people like that. For the mo- for the most part, time servers. Yeah, um, New yeah. Labour um, and the Blairite wing of the Labour Party. This this okay, it's called Starmerite wing. You know, if yeah. Let's say that. Yeah, people like. Um, I think that's giving them too much credit, but yes, yeah, I get. But those people, they're all like the worst hangers-on, and um, they were like staffers towards the end of the Blair era. 
Yeah, I, I mean, to be honest, all of the all of pretty much, I'd say, most of the Blair people, the actual individuals, have gone now. Yeah. So quite a lot of the Starmer wing of the Labour Party are going to be people who have come around in the last uh, ten years since since Ed Miliband, yeah. and have chosen to make their home. So like they're the second or third generation I'm thinking, of I'm thinking the people whoever they were when they lost power. Yeah. I'm thinking the people like people like the, oh, I've forgotten her name. That one that they always talk about as being incredibly competent. She had that long tweet thread talking about how great Nancy Astor was. Rachel Reeves. Um Rachel uh, Reeves yes. is always talked about as this amazing figure and every time she talks she gets her lines wrong, she stares weirdly. Do you know what I mean? Like it's it's mm. it's the Nancy Pelosi thing. It's the like the when you see Democrats talk, you know these people are supposed to be like so good at this. And I would say like Nancy dreadful. Pelosi is Nancy Pelosi is like an absolute nightmare. But at the same time, she has significantly better speaking chops than than most oh, of the current like. Yeah, uh, she's, you know, she's better at it. But you know what I mean. That kind of they yeah. they don't speak in a human warm way. They don't seem to. They don't convince. They don't convince me. It, it's. I mean, it's the speaking. Like, I don't want to focus like ages and ages on the speaking style because yeah. it's it's pretty standard at this point that it's fairly. It sounds fairly amateurish, and that seems like more of a wonk thing. But it didn't help that he kept going. I'm just so angry. <laughs> I am so angry. So, like, the kind of main theme of the speech and what I found most interesting was for the, and they had already briefed this in beforehand. He was allowed to attack Boris Johnson personally, something yeah. we were told that Corbyn must never ever do yep. because to do it would expose him as angry mm-hmm. and thin skinned mm-hmm. and combative and not a proper Democrat or some yep. shit like that. Yep. Um, and now suddenly it is absolutely, it has become a, a talking point that Corbyn wasn't combative enough. And yep. you know, for what it's worth, I kind of agree, but he was told this was this was a. I mean, if you take the example of McDonald, like McDonald constantly baited the Tories and was ripped to shreds for it, yeah, because it was not becoming mm. of a. Ultimately, Serious it sounds like it's it's of a state employee. Yeah, that's what it sounded like. You know, yeah. you are you are part of the British state, and you are not allowed to treat other other colleagues yeah. colleagues mm. like this. You are not allowed to treat. Tories yeah, it's like back this. to the never kiss a Tory thing, and like I haven't got friends who are Tories. Yeah. It's how dare you be like this? You're going to have to talk to HR about that. And like, I mean, the, the nonsense of it was that, of course, Tony Blair. When I mean, I've mentioned this before, but Tony Blair, when he was coming up, was absolutely vicious mm. about Tories, like mm-hmm. constantly, personally picking them out mm-hmm. to berate them for how terrible they were. Yeah, you know. Um, I mean, there were some things in the speech that, like, the, generally the speech is like, this government has low standards and is incompetent, and I've tried to work with them. It's casting him as, can you imagine him as the kind of person to take responsibility? The yeah. safe, sensible, sane pair of hands, the order versus Bo- uh, Boris Johnson's chaos, Yeah, you know? Um And, you know, there, were, there was explicit distancing from... Uh, it seems sarcastic now to call it the Corbyn project, but um, he did specifically say, um, when you lose an election in a democracy, you deserve to. You don't look at the electorate and ask them, what were you thinking? You look at yourself and ask, what were we doing? I'll say again, Brexit um, in Scotland. Brexit in Scotland. And I mean, of course, if you, the weird thing is, if you actually reverse that, when you win in a democracy, you deserve to. Yeah. <laughs> Do you? Yeah, anyway. Um, to be honest, I'm not actually that mad about that point. Um, if he wants to, like Labour did just lose the election, um, you can talk about it being fair or unfair, but that's only, to me, it's only if you are, if you're on the left and you're still brutally plugged into the Labour Party as a receptacle of your hope, how many times is it going to take you to hear this kind of thing? <laughs> yeah. For you to be convinced that it's not. Well, this is and like this. This is the speech that I think. If you are still in the Labour Party, like now, how many times yeah. do you have to be kicked? How many times do you have yeah. to be told no? <laughs> yeah, and like yeah, the patriotism stuff um, was a lot lighter than I had been led to believe. There were definite little subtextual moments. Um, there was one particular one where he said. Um, uh, oh, I, you know, I love, I love this country. This is the country I grew up in. 
and there's a certain you know i might be over reading reading into it but um it's definitely a a, a kind of like a national pitch, a Royal Britannia pitch. Yeah. You know what I mean? And the problem with that is not so much like, I grew up with a Labour Party that was like this. Mm-hmm. Like the Labour, to me, other than a blip of the last five years, the Labour Party has always been like this to me. Yeah. They have yeah. always done this thing. And what I find objectionable is the fact that they feel the need to do this and not articulate it in any other way, but to just play straight into kind of a particular formulation of patriotism that never, ever works for them. You know how like, okay, have you ever, have you ever noticed that <laughs> a naked man with a cowboy hat on is more naked than a naked man who's just naked? Yeah. Keir Starmer, when he tries to do patriotism, looks less patriotic because he's trying to exploit the issue and saying patriotism like properly. You don't hear Tories talking about their love of country, other, weirdly enough, than Cameron, who used to bang on about it all the time because I'm pretty sure he thought his right wing thought he was a globalist elite. Yeah, yeah. Um, And, you know, fair, fair dues, they were right. But when the more you talk about it in those terms, the less you feel it. And patriotism is something you have to feel. You can't just say it. And I don't know how many times they have to do this. It's not like we haven't had a a Labour Party that has agonised and said, we need to be more patriotic, without ever defining what that means, without ever properly going into, like, articulating what it it actually is. Um, and like, I don't think people. I actually don't think like even the the um, the slogans. You know, the Patrie family nation, like whatever <laughs> Vichy era slogan they're choosing to use this time. It. I don't even think it. Like, it, they're going to brutalize immigrants. Yeah. But not because of this patriotism stuff. Because for them, the two things are unconnected. You know, like patriotism in this country is is like it's two things, right? It's either a glossy ad campaign featuring I don't know a spit a Spitfire. Yeah. Um, that you know everyone who watches the NHS written underneath it. Yeah, and everyone who watches it either in their hearts kind of distances themselves from it and thinks it's not for them. Yeah. Or people who are so like emotionally hooked into visuals and advertising that they're in a world collapse in a mush every time they see a poppy. <laughs> um, the other, the only other thing, patriotism is is anti-migrancy as a like and whiteness as kind of broader signifiers for other things. Yeah, you know they're the thing. That's the actual thing that has material consequences. Patriotism never means fucking um, increased uh, unemployment benefit. No, patriotism never means um, like nationalised services. No, it never does. Well, explicitly does mean that at the moment. But um, yeah, it's um, it's it's kind of it is interesting to see that. So they've had five years. These people, the people who are in who have the party now. They've had five mm-hmm. years for this, for them to, you know, for planning and getting ready to get out there with all of their important things that they weren't allowed to talk about because of Corbyn. You know, they weren't going to give him yep. their A-grade ideas and help him win. Um, you know, they were keeping it for themselves and they were working hard on this stuff. Um, and <clears throat> Keir Starmer's been like an anointed figure for the Labour Party, especially that part of the Labour Party, for a very long time now. Um, like he's had puff pieces in the Guardian, which I'll read a bit out at the end. Um, yeah. Like going back like two thousand seven, I think, um, mm. and probably earlier. But like they still have the exact same take on patriotism that I remember as a kid. Like David Lammy today, we can't allow hard right nationalists to take ownership of the Union Jack. Keir Starmer and Lisa Nandy are right to emphasise Labour's patriotism. We love our country. That's why we live to fight for a fairer, better, more inclusive UK. And it's that. It's that weird fighting for the flag bullshit as well. You know it's mean? because any any material advantage for the people you're trying to um you're trying to get to vote for you, which as again, as I've mentioned before, for the Labour Party seems to be fucking everybody. Yeah. When actually you don't need everybody, you no. need to reinforce a significant electoral coalition that might compromise between two parts of it. Mm-hmm. But you don't need to, you can't get everybody. Yeah. You can't get, if the old and the young, for instance, have completely conflicting um, material aims, which they don't for the most part, but, you know, 
if you have to um you have to choose one yeah you have to choose yeah. you can't just talk like talk about um just getting everybody yeah because that and that like that is like like the main problem i have with that kind of like centrist stuff not blairite stuff but centrist stuff mm. is that they seem to be more concerned with maintaining the responsibility of being state governors yeah of being the the like holding the mantle of the state holding the state together than they are with actually winning power unlike the conservatives who hold the mantle of the state anyway but understand that it's power at all costs yeah yeah that it actually doesn't matter you know yeah um the other thing with his patriotism stuff um and it was this is more the stuff that was being briefed beforehand and like over the weekend and around while he was doing the speech was yeah because you know you got to look at that stuff as well to see the story they're trying to get out there because you can't expect him to get his point across in half an hour of talking of course he needs <laughs> he needs to have help um but one of the things that was being put out was he is making a departure from the niche issues of Corbyn and Ed Miliband and the problem yeah. there is <clears throat> there is very little to that Corbyn and Ed Miliband had in common like Ed Miliband was not left wing. It was no. not that Ed Miliband leadership was bad. Like I don't like the rehabilitation of Ed Miliband and that fucking that fucking Ed Stone. Fucking hell. Oh you yeah. Mean, like you know yeah. the you know strong was it hard stronger controls on immigration. Oh fuck. Yes. Yeah. Um, was, but that was an thing... attempt to make you trust. That was the same kind of thing. That was yeah. an attempt to make you trust them as if these were ironclad promises. Yeah. They were promises literally written in stone that they would never break. Yeah. Not that they thought that the basic problem of making particular promises was a basic lack of faith in pol- and politics altogether, which they had helped bring in. Yeah. Which they had helped engender. But the uh, only thing I can think of that was that's a common theme between Ed Miliband's leadership and Jeremy Corbyn's leadership is that Ed Miliband wasn't willing to bomb Syria mm. and Jeremy Corbyn was perceived as not willing to bomb anywhere. The, the niche issue is things like Palestine and generally mm. Britain's place in the world with regards to foreign interventions. And that's the only thing I can think of that they had in common. And linking that with him talking about patriotism and him talking about being respected and admired on the world stage, that yeah. is a, that's bad. It's that same old thing of linking when you just say security and then yep. say national security. Because security yep. to like security to people means they're not going to break into my house. National yep. security is we need to break it we need to bomb Syria so that they don't break into your house. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and and like, again, this is like not something that re- like people actually think about. I mean, like, if you think about who this speech is actually for, technically, it should have obviously been for the Labour Party itself. It wasn't. It was for you know the pub supposed to be like a public speech to the general public, and it had all those tropes. But realistically, it's not the public who were listening to this speech. It was it was journalists who have a particular idea of what kind of person Labour need to win. They're going yeah. back to a a media-led um, approach to it because yeah. I imagine they are fucking scared to death oh, yeah. of yes. what the media are going to do to them. Yeah. <clears throat> and they hope, they hope that this time it will be different, that this time they'll have things they can point to that they can say, ah, you see, I am actually on record as wanting to do this. Yeah. And it won't make a blind bit of difference. <clears throat> But it's what else can they do? What else are they going to think of? They yeah. can't think of themselves a way out of this. Yeah, one of the things as well was while his speech was going on, Lisa and Andy was doing the rounds and saying stuff on. Oh, the remember. prep, yeah, yeah. Um, it was um, it was f- I think it was five live this morning. Okay. But um, one of the important things is like we talked about this before, and when like during the election, you know, he had his promises during the leadership election. He had his promises, which a lot of us thought that, that he's not going to stick to that bullshit. He's definitely going to drop them as soon as he fucking can. <clears throat> Some people, and I think quite a lot of people, did give him a vote because they believed him. But yeah, so she says, um, "Is um, his thing is the first of Keir Starmer's ten pledges income tax for the top five percent of earners reverse Tory cuts to corporation tax now gone? I expect so," says Lisa Nandy. Um, the full quote is, 
Um, I expect so. Based on what you just said about front bench opposing tax rises, in the middle of a global pandemic, the idea of raising taxes and squeezing people who are in the squeezing people who are in work and trying to make ends meet is just completely the wrong priority for the country. <laughs> when, the towns, but the towns, Lisa. The top five percent of earners. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then what the about towns. the fifth pledge on common ownership of rail, mail, energy and water Lisa Nandy says public ownership is one way and another way is giving people more control possibly the most on brand new Labour answer we've heard out of a oh. Labour politician for a long time that is it's wow, vintage that is, it's about giving people more control that, over over their own lives and their, the lives of their family that is like hearing a. it's like um, that's like hearing it's a like particularly he- it's like hearing good... a fucking ghost. Well, actually, I was going to say it's like hearing a it's like hearing a particularly good stoner riff that feels like it's from the seventies, <laughs> like listening to Electric Wizard. Mm. Do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, I know exactly where that's coming from. Oh, that's yep. good. That's some, that's appreciation for your past. That's where that comes from. Yep. Fucking grotesque. But the whole Absolutely point of it is like, um, of course, they were going to break those promises, but yeah. the. Being so brazen about it is making a point of not telling us that we're not going to be listened to because we already knew that, but it's telling people who are unsure about who voting Labour. Well, or telling yeah. people who are unsure about voting Labour that it's okay, they won't listen to us crazies. Mm. That we're, we're that, it's, you know, it's, we're back in our box now. The the thing is, yeah, I think like you said about leaving the Labour Party kind of under the conference, you knew that the the other kind of that this was going to happen at some point but the timing was very important mm-hmm. the timing was is it just before an election yep. is it midway through yep. is it right at the beginning and i mean it's only been he's only been elected what a few months yeah um i don't know a few months and a they've decided years, to time is weird yeah and they've fully fully gone in for it um yeah it's kind of typical you send out riders to uh to do all your heavy lifting and i think one of the other things nandy said was we stand up for Britain, we stand up for British people, we stand up for British interests, and we will always put that first, which, like, mm-hmm. it's the same, again, it's the same stuff. It's like you're more naked with the cowboy hat than you were without. Yeah. Also, if you just... were actually, if you were actually for British interests, you would not need to say that. Yeah. Do you um, know what I mean? Yeah. Whatever, again, whatever that means, because also they allow a lot enough. of rhetorical, they, they, yeah, they, they allow for a lot of rhetorical, like, bagginess around it. Because, yeah. of course, they're going, like, if they're going to be governing anything, like, in a, like, quote unquote, sensible direction, they will be entirely subjecting British people to the travails of globalization and the global economy. Yeah. That's how sensibility, that's how sensible stuff works. Yeah. That's how it's worked for, 40 years yeah also there's that you thing know? of um like it's, why is it the the sensible ones the competent ones surely you're just careful about you know just saying something even close to britain first <laughs> do you know what i mean because they because they don't care because they're no. doing that specifically to to try and get and i think that like comes down to the one of the actual problems with it is that all of this language like all of this this newness, this new party, is supposed to be for this new working class, this red wall working class they've discovered overnight exists. Yeah. Um, that they're that they're supposed to be, they're told they're supposed to be obsessed with um, with winning back. Um, it's supposed to be, you know, for the real quote unquote working class, except yeah. for the fact that you know traditionally you can never actually call it the working class in New Labour unless you prefix it with the word white. Yeah, um, but there's this whole thing about there's some of them can fake it, and Lisa Nandy fakes it quite a lot. But mm-hmm. they don't actually know what they're talking about when they say working class. No, because of course she she says the same thing about yeah, top five percent of earners are squeezing people who are in work. Yeah, you know that if you're in the top five percent of earners, you're not just in work. Yeah, you have assets. You yeah. have capital. Well, there's. Um, there's... Because one of the things that he said was he wanted to, um, the Starmer said in his speech was he wanted to show that Labour can be trusted with money. He wanted like they can, they can be trusted on that on yeah. defence and um, on security and money. Mm. And like so, Lisa Nandy said that thing about you know top five percent of earners they're squeezed hard, put upon workers, just getting by. Um, and oh. Annalise Dodds also she was in I can't remember who was interviewing her, 
but she said it would be the wrong time in a recession to take money out of the economy through taxation <laughs> because when the tax man takes the money, I don't know, like I know you've done, you did, like you've got got a degree in economic history, but maybe you don't mm-hmm. actually know about the economic now and how the tax man, when he takes that money, he just burns that money. Yeah, they tie and it, that's... they put it in a bag and they tie it to a weight and they throw it into the sea. <laughs> It's taking all of the kind of tough but fair liberalism mm. of uh, Blairite rhetoric yeah. and kind of taking the fair bit out of it. Yeah. And just go, don't worry, we'll be dead tough. Yeah. yeah. You know? And it's um, with them speaking, um, with Annalise Dodds say, talking about, um, well, saying that they're, spend, they're spending too much money. And like there yeah. could be arguments made for where the Tories are spending money at the moment, but you know what they're going to do and you know that they're going to cut say that you know we need to be smarter with money and therefore we're going to have to not have any kind of increase in wages and stuff like that <laughs> or spending you know that's what they're going to do i mean think think about if you are like one of that particular the labor right the new 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 labor neo new labor um if you're one of those those people one of those particular kind of maybe the people who actually control the 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 labor party maybe max a hundred people politicians mps and you know flunkies um you know the people who look like they've been molded out of transparent plastic and filled with seawater um constantly looking to make their historic compromise and then stick to it out of principle think about how for decades they've trained themselves to um perfect the art of pr never missing a line or never fucking up which to them would be this this speech all of these speeches would have been an example of not fucking up always dotting every t crossing every i they can't be criticized for it but it doesn't mean anything and just imagine how it feels to just get constantly outmaneuvered by this fucking oaf (laughs) who looks like he's been sleeping on a pile of shipping crates in a stock room (laughs) <laughs> just to be wakened for a public appearance who just continually spends money and isn't fiscally responsible who constantly fucks up and never ever receives his comeuppance and they're stuck there playing the game by their rules yeah think how that must feel like that has to be completely undermining their worlds must be spinning out with all of this oh yeah they must be and Boris is the thing is with this chaos versus order thing, like Boris is going to continue like playing that thing because it's worked so well so far, like Brexit chaos. Yeah, that's actively something that people who are really, really into Brexit, who is the majority of the Conservative Party, as small as they might be, as like small in numbers as they might be, completely outsized in terms of the influence they have on things. I mean, we talk about Farage, but like the actual members of the most like kind of normal members of the conservative party are at that level at this point yeah they wouldn't care if the seas swept away half of britain if they got a fucking uh no deal brexit yeah um and boris is going to keep playing the clown while you know him and his particular coterie sweep away redefine every single institutional arrangement and democratic norm that they've been relying on in this country all of these very law and order sensible people are going to realize that yeah the british system in basically a gentleman's agreement to just not change it. <laughs> yeah. Like every single thing. And like, you know, if you remember what we talked about with um, like climate change and yeah. um, how any kind of green new deal, any kind of reform that would solve climate change would make the present situation unrecognizable. And now like you can talk about Boris being incompetent and chaotic as you want, but his actual plan, like, and the plan of people around him, you will get to see what an econ- a reformed economy looks like and how unrecognizable it is from the other side. Mm-hmm. You know, because, like, frankly, if he, if, if Cummings gets his way and actually does do this, this kind of new economic revolution, like, he's going to have to rip up an incredible number of these norms and rules that, you know, everybody had a go at Corbynism about and that actually Corbynism never came close to threatening. Um, Because, like, you know, for instance, what's the union to a bright English future? If you continue with the kind of British rhetoric, what what are migrants' lives to this bright British future that's that's on the horizon, you know? Mm. And, like, I've seen a few kind of... um, remain people who get disappointed with Starmer saying about how Brexit is done. Mm-hmm. I've seen a few of them going like, oh, well, you know, we have to push for proportional representation. And it's like, 
you are going to, in the next 10 years, you're going to be lucky if you even get to participate. Well, not you personally, sir. Mm -hmm. I wasn't talking about you, sir, Mr. Remainer. <laughs> um, but like the working class more generally are going to be lucky if they even get to participate in first past the post. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Well, the thing that's going to get me is getting me is, um, so Boris, you know, does this bumbly Boris thing. And he'll carry mm. on doing that. And Brexit will be whatever Brexit is. And I, I, he's not going to be here next Christmas, like a year from now. And it'll be mm, my, it'll no, be, uh, yeah, no, you've you've no, you've no, said about be, this. Look, he'll be yeah. gone. He'll be gone, and it'll be Michael Gove or someone else like that. And there'll be harsh law and order, and they'll be back to like traditional Tory shouting and like like not being bumbling incompetence. You know what I mean? Like having the image at least of um adhering to rules and stuff like that. And people will just forget mm. about Boris and forget about that government because that government do is not the one in charge anymore. It would be a completely different government now. You know and they I mean? can't be held responsible exactly. for anything that already happened. And they'll do that. They'll dump they'll dump Boris. Boris will, you know, have like bumbled his way through coronavirus. Every single one of those deaths isn't on the Conservative Party, that's on the previous administration. The part like a lot of the reason those people died was because of how Jeremy Corbyn was and how Keir Starmer was. Do you know what I mean? That's what that's the, that's how they'll style their way out of it. Yeah. I but, mean, like, I don't know, it, it just feels this whole this whole thing, this whole this whole turn mm -hmm. is so it's so dreadfully predictable. Yeah. But at the same time, it it just there's this seems like there's this absolute refusal to deal with the reality of of what they face. I don't know if behind the scenes they're actually super like super up on it like political operatives that they actually know what's happening. Mm -hmm. That they actually have looked at what do they talk about? Like how do they characterize Boris in their and the Conservative Party generally? How do they characterize it in their yeah, most private moments mm. what do they think when they look around the world and they see modi orban trump um bolsonaro. duterte um, bolsonaro when they look at this what do they think is going to happen mm -hmm. you know yeah like how do they think that the british state is going to is going to change in the next five years in a way that is at all beneficial to them if they go about things as business as usual. Yeah. Well, there's... You know? One of the other things I want to talk about in his speech, or last, last thing in, um, in Starmer's speech, is um, how often he talked about family values. He said yeah. the word family values. That's the thing as well. A lot of his speech, he didn't really talk about much. He said words, but there was no mm -hmm. real substance to it. Because, it, again, it was... Like, these speeches, they don't tend to have any substance, but there's still yeah. very little substance coming from the Labour Party at all, apart from we're not going to nationalise things and we're definitely not going to take money away from rich people. That would be stupid. That's where the money lives. Um, but he said about how he wanted to make things better for families and talking about family... It's, it just, I very much got an impression, especially with the way that the Labour Party is going under him and with issues like um, with black members of the Labour Party and um, Asian members leaving um, and how little he seems to care for that and they seem to care for that that with family values he means cis het white it's that old thing with the family values that's yeah that's the subtext yeah. and the, and and the I, remember that, I remember that when i was a kid yeah. i remember that when i was a kid i remember that feeling weird being in a non a not normal family and it feeling un and I mean it was it was single mums for a long time. Yeah, exactly. Um, that was counter to family values, wasn't it? Yeah. Um and that was that was a thing growing up and that's a thing and that was definitely it's it's not a feeling that I it's it's not a thing that they that I'd like them to play with in any way, especially seeing as you mm. kind of know where they're going with it. Like mm. I hope they don't go in that way. They probably will. Um well, they will never go fully in that way because they do not have anything to match it. No, it's why is, no, again, they don't need why to I'm... go fully that way. They just need to yeah, not I know be what you mean. supportive. Yeah. But it, the you know, they'll, there's they'll a difference. The, the, the rhetoric between um, the difference between the rhetoric and the action is, yeah. I imagine, I will, I, I might be wrong. I, I might very well be wrong. But I imagine the difference between the rhetoric and what that rhetoric means is going to be stark. Yeah. That's a prediction more than an actual analysis, but like, I just can't see them. There's, there's been, there's been nothing from them. I don't expect policies, but I like, they just are so reactive mm -hmm. to 
to everything that's going on with a with a basic sideline to getting things back to normal yeah. into a normal the same kind of market well, economy f- we had in the past the ma- the final thing i wanted to talk about with him and the speech was pretty much like who i who i personally felt he was aiming it at like mm. he talked about there's a recurring thing that he said during the speech which was he wanted Britain to be a good place to grow grow up in and a good and a good place to grow old in and mm. it's i thought it was very telling that he's talking he talked a lot about people doing GCSEs and A levels and how they've been cheated because of coronavirus um and so there he's not talking of those kids because they don't vote they can you know mm. fuck off he's talking to the parents of older teenagers which you know 35 and up yeah um, sure say yeah. like the youngest more likely he's talking like cuz he's because of like who the labor party are. he's probably he, and who they're trying to be he's talking about like 40 and up other people that he's yeah. aiming at and it was I was thinking that there was that poll a couple of weeks ago that showed, you know, who votes Labour based on age. And it's like once you hit forty five, that's when it's more Tories more people vote Tory than vote Labour. Yeah. And it there felt, is a stark generational yeah. divide, yeah. And he felt very much like he was aiming this at them with things like, you know, talk he doesn't mention things like tuition fees. He talks about things like he talks about national security. He talks about being nice to old people. He talks about helping kids, you know, helping people, being a nice place to grow grow up in, which is aiming at parents and the old. And it it's it was always going to be this way when Starmer got in, that we were going to be expected to vote for them while they tried to court people that are never going to vote for them. Those, like, there are, like, I'm not saying that old people don't vote Labour because there are plenty of old people that I know that, you know, that they, they do vote Labour. But there are the ones who who didn't vote Labour the last election, and then never, and they didn't vote Labour during Ed Miliband, and then never voting Labour under Keir Starmer. No matter how many times he says, you know, I my mum's my mum's my wife's mum came from Doncaster. I think yeah, I think like they've they've cottoned on to the particular idea that and I think we've talked about this before. Um, the only the only signifier left that matters the only group that you're going to talk to is whatever you term the silent majority yeah it's the only it's the only pitch for people who are determined to play by a particular set of rules it is the only thing that hits the sweet spot for a political party between no penetration of your message at all and getting so people so het up that they start forming ukips yeah. they can't be their identity is purely in that in that's the, the the idea that somebody is looking out for you and somebody is going to destroy my enemies and democracy patriotism nation these words mean nothing when it comes to that they only it can only mean i am going to destroy your personal enemies yeah whichever they might be and it's it they can't hit it as hard as the Tories. They can't. They just can't. Okay, but um, before we go, I want to talk about... So, it, he, the, he has been on the cards for a while, Keir Starmer as leader. They've been waiting for their opportunity to be in power of the Labour Party so then they can, as he says in his speech, come out of the shadows and make the country oh, yeah. better. That um, was very bad. Yeah, that, that was that, a very just, bad bit. Um, I think he liked it. Um, Harry Cole. <laughs> oh good it was great yeah yeah um but here's a little thing from a an interview with keir starmer from 2009 an interview with keir starmer Ooh. that's um in the guardian keir starmer i wouldn't characterize myself as a bleeding heart liberal <laughs> but in it it has, yeah. it has a day in the life of it has a keir starmer's day now this is the man that the hopes of of British liberals is all on this man. This is the this is the centrist hero. This is the guy who's going to fix Britain, bring everything back to normal. He's going to bring fix the Labour Party. He's going to take power back from those dastardly, confused, chaotic Tories, and he's going to fix everything. Here is this exciting man that we're all going to vote for. Six fifteen, get up quietly so as not to wake my wife or son. Six forty five. Breakfast, invariably toast or tea, toast and tea. Listen to the Today programme and read the papers, Guardian and the Times. <laughs> 7 a.m. Prepare bottles for our son. Check non work emails, including details of football games I hope to play that week. 
745. Oh, yeah. Arrive at the office, read emails and post. 8am to 5pm. Wall-to-wall meetings with policy and legal advisors, charities, lobby groups, senior staff from the CPS regions. Every Wednesday at 10am, attend meetings of all permanent secretaries in the civil service. Serious work. Work, so, work, actually, work. Serious. Be, be, until you, uh, before you continue, um, this presumably was when he was DPP. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's like, what do, you, what do you do in an average day? Eight work. till five. I do work. Yeah, exactly. Like, that kind of seems like quite an important thing. Yep. More than, oh, no, wait a minute. No, it's not, is it? The important thing is the toast and tea, the Guardian of the Times, and the yes. football. Yep. 5 to 7 p.m. Often give speeches at functions or attend legal gatherings. Often, yes. <laughs> 7 to 7.15. Try to get home for son's bath time and give him his final bottle while watching the news. Put son to bed. 7.45 to 8.30 p.m. Catch up with my <laughs> wife. Hear what exciting things she and son have been up to. Just 45 minute wife time yep just put it in <laughs> just put it in there me and the wife except once you hit 8 30 to 9 oh there 8 30 to 9 30 p.m prepare dinner i enjoy cooking my wife and i chat as i do so but then at 9 30 no more chatting with the wife watch tv and make personal phone calls 10 8 30 to 9 30 prepare dinner that seems like that seems like some acid reflux hours i hate eating that late well, no, just, even though most of the time i do actually have to Multicultural metropolitan elite eating like he's on the continent, eating after the sunset. Just I'm surprised just... he didn't try and like fit in like a dinner at five. Yeah, you yeah. know, getting home from the from the uh, the donkey sanctuary from the uh, <laughs> from the tool the tool factory, isn't it? That's the one. Um, so after he's His watched TV owned. from nine thirty till ten, are there ten p.m. watch news? Mm-hmm. Um, then ten thirty start. Start reading briefing papers for next day and deal with my outstanding matters from the day. Midnight, bed. <laughs> Sleep six hours. <laughs> That's remarkably cautious for a man who, at that point, did not seem to be preparing for a like cabinet position. No, they were they were talking about it then because um there was he was like <clears throat> the one like I'm sure I might have read something about um the stuff where how he got his constituency seat like it was like. It was. They were very much just waiting for a safe seat to shove him into. Yeah, it's very. It, it's also very because like one of the main tropes of kind of the early like the conservative period in the two thousands has been this like absolute hatred of lawyers. Yeah, much more an American thing, I think, yeah. of, of trial lawyers and defense attorneys and things like that. But um, yeah, trying to trying to prep the ground. This is authentocracy before authentocracy, really. Isn't it really it? is. It really is. But that's it. That's the man that, you know, all the hopes are pinned on. All the (laughs) hopes for, well, change, for making the country a better place, for making it a happier place. It's all on him. That's us for this week. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. Follow us at WDT80W underscore podcast. Follow me at Ben Bergamo. Follow Hugh at Tanner Smashing. And we'll see you next week. Bye. (laughs)